What's up, world? Uh, I just, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I don't know. They, 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 insert here. Yo. It's a terrible game. Bottom line. It's terrible in every way. Graphically, it's terrible. Gameplay is terrible. It's just terrible. Oh, angry Nick mad. That game sucked, and it's gonna suck no matter how many revisions they make, and it just sucked even more because they put a connect with it. Oh, angry Nick mad. Or if there's violence, I'll just laugh and enjoy the fun. Kaz Hazari. Hazari. Kaz Harai. 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 They just kind of got tired of Angry Nick on the first one and said, yeah, I'm gonna pass. Oh, yeah, so I do. It's me, precisely. No, no. no. I, I, per- I no. do all my work. No. No. Yeah, I'm you guys are so I don't- cute. Oh, thank you. I try. I mean, let's face it, Mario, and to a lesser extent, Zelda, is what carries Nintendo at this point. Always be radical. I love you, little podcast. You're the bestest thing ever. For the promise of the new Super Smash Brothers and the Zelda game, yes. Will not find a better story presented in any other game genre, in my personal opinion. Like, JRPGs have that. They have that story. That's what the entire game felt like. Oh my god, I want to bang my head into a wall. It's a podcast. Can someone remind me? I thought it was a video game podcast. Yeah, I'm listening to the Game Source Podcast. Thanks again for joining us on another episode of the Game Source Podcast. The director of one of the best films of 2015 and an Oscar hopeful, maybe, for best documentary, it's Nintendo Quest director Rob McCallum. <laughs> we won't, unfortunately, qualify for Academy Award voting. There's a huge political process involved with that, but I love the sentiment, Gerald. Thank you. Nintendo Quest, which you can find today on Vimeo with extra bonus features. You can also find it on iTunes. And order the DVD today off of Amazon. And I actually heard a rumor that, well, Nintendo Quest can be found on Amazon Prime. Is that correct? No, uh, it's a funny thing. Uh, It's not supposed to be on Amazon Prime for a couple months. So if people are listening, this is a good chance to kind of make use of that Prime subscription, maybe get a sneak peek at it. Um, Little miscommunication error out there, but hey, you know, it's giving us a lot of good exposure. Destructoid run a, ran a piece on it. We're getting a bunch more reviews because people have a lot easier access to it. But uh, you are correct, NintendoQuest.com. For all your Nintendo Quest needs, there's links to the DVD, the Vimeo with all the bonus features, and of course, iTunes. We're going to talk about a lot of great things on this episode, including, well, the PlayStation experience coming right up soon. We're going to talk about our thoughts both before, because this was recorded most, for the most part, before the PlayStation experience. And I'm going to share uh, my thoughts on the end, uh, just before the episode closes, my thoughts on the actual keynote address that will be made at that time. But first up, we're going to talk a little about the Game Awards. Rob, did you get a chance to check it out? I did. I, I wasn't able to catch it live, uh, so I watched it uh, yesterday morning, and I kind of preferred that way because if I would have been watching it on Twitch or YouTube, I'm sure I would have been inundated with social media comments at the same time. So it was a lot easier for me just to separate myself from that and kind of pick my own time, watch it yesterday early morning, and kind of just take it at my own leisure. And that way I could pause and, and stop as well as I needed. So, But I definitely checked it out. What was your opinion on the Game Awards 2015 
not just the winners per se, but the actual the actual award show itself and the future of where that show may go. I like it. Um, I, I think it uh, it's it's a it's a first step that we need as an industry to help take awards and and gaming a little bit more seriously. Um, one of the detractions from it is that, of course, it's all fan voted, and I'd like to see something that's maybe a little bit more industry voted, like the Oscars. You know, industry. Uh, the Oscars are voted by people in each of the categories, so best editing is voted by editors, um, best actors voted by a panel of actors, and so on and so forth. So the fact that it's still fan generated, it feels like the MTV kind of Nickelodeon awards, and it doesn't have as much cachet because maybe with the right amount of press spend or marketing spend, you could get that. Um, or if the game's released on a console that has a larger install base, then it's going to get more votes. So will Uncharted 4 win Game of the Year next year because there's more Sony consoles out there? You know, So how you kind of break down those politics is always really hard. Um, but I think it's important. Um, I think Jeff Keighley's doing a great job. I think... It would be great to see him step aside from a hosting role and focus specifically on a producing role. And that's not to take away from his camera skills or anything like that. But like most award shows, you want to have a little bit of panache, a little bit of showmanship. And he's pretty kind of straight arrow. You can tell he just wants to get through it. He wants to hit all the marks and deliver you know, a solid experience. But there's, there's no risk to make it a little bit more, I don't know, stagey. And it's a hard thing to do two years into its existence. So what do you say about possibly the the future of the show itself, seeing how it is no longer on Spike Awards and are no longer using the high-profile actors uh, like they've used in the past that supposedly have gaming ties or gaming preferences of some type? But this is but there's so many people in the industry that are camera trained people that don't ha- you don't have to go to an actor or a comedian just because the Oscars do that or the Tonys or the Globes doesn't mean the gaming awards. I mean, I would say take someone like Victor Lucas, you know, and have them team up even with Tommy Tallarico, like the early days of Electric Playground, which they're running again on their YouTube channel. I believe a lot of the early shows. Victor Lucas is a guy who has spent like the last 15, 20 years doing nothing but gaming entertainment. Take anybody from G4 TV that has that on-camera presence that is a household name and put them in front of the camera. Not only will it legitimize it, but you also have someone who's actually speaking from passion. I think it's, I think it's a great go-between instead of having to bring in a Hollywood name for the sake of a, an audience draw. And, and to, you'll be able to just deliver something, I think, that's a little bit more from the heart. So are you okay with it just now being an online-only event and obviously not getting the support now from broadcast television, obviously the revenue, the income, uh, the sponsors, um, and quite possibly the backlash you would get as well from, um, let's say, uh, publishers and development companies who are not as willing to pony up with their mega world premieres like they were in the past when it was on broadcast television so this is this is going to be a dangerous thing that i say but that's okay and i haven't totally thought it out and i'm sure i'll get ripped on for it but that's okay i think it's okay that it's an online thing only i think it makes it a little bit more for us by us you know what i mean it's produced by gamers it's for gamers they're going to where gamers are i think it became much more of a community feel because we could all log on online Watch it via YouTube, watch it via the e-stores, 
watch it via Facebook feeds and, and have group chats and, and talk one another. It just felt a little bit more organic than us tuning in to television, which for gamers feels a little you know, archaic by design since we're getting most of our media through our console boxes and not through the cable provider. So I think this might be a little bit ahead of the curve in, in terms of where the future of entertainment is, but I think that's kind of where it's going to go anyways. I, I, I think the general public perception is, oh, it's online, so it's a discounted feel. But then, you know, look at the stuff that Netflix is producing, you know, House of Cards, amazing series. It's available online only. There's a lot of great web series out there. Amazon, Hulu, of course, have amazing digital series as well. I would love to see this get partnered up with something like that. Of course, you saw, I'm sure, all the Go90 ads. But I don't think it's that far away from partnering up as a mainstay annual event with one of these big three, I would say. And I wouldn't discount iTunes from wanting to get in there either. And I'll agree with you that Jeff Keighley works extremely hard uh, on the Game Awards, has for several years. He puts his heart and soul into it. Nobody should ever question or dispute that. Um, But he did have some pointed comments regarding uh, Hideo Kojima not being allowed to due to legal reasons and ramifications from his, well, estranged uh, publisher um, and company that he has worked for for so many years, Konami. Um, and Konami laying the, the unfortunate SmackDown and uh, ill-timely, I might add, uh, SmackDown and not allowing him to go ahead and be able to accept an award that he was about ready to receive uh, at the Game Awards. Uh, Jeff Keighley pointed that out and uh, was very upfront to to everyone regarding in regards to that. Um what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I commend him for doing so and, and commend him for, for taking Konami to task. Um, but what are your thoughts more on, on exactly uh, uh, what Jeff Keighley said? And also the, the tribute to, to Soturo Iwata was, was very touching indeed. Um, some pointed things that were on the actual show itself. Your thoughts, Rob? You see, that kind of thing probably would have never been allowed on a broadcast television you know, event. I can't, and that's what I love about this. It felt very authentic, and I just think there's a little bit of room for a little, little bit of showmanship with people from the industry. I think that the fact that it's off Spike is probably a, a good thing for it. It doesn't have to be what Spike TV kind of wanted it to be. I'm sure it was Spike TV that said, and we should get Samuel L. Jackson because it fits our perfect, you know, male demographic of 18 to 35 year old action kind of gritty you know, content fair, you know, um, I, I just, it's, it's probably like the worst choice for a host. I, I can't think of anybody worse. Cause he's, he's too laid back. He's not up in the face. He's, he's going to take everything at, at, at half speed. So I like the direction that it's going. And I honestly think, you know, if it was to ever return to broadcast, I don't think it's that far out of the realm with TBS, you know, announcing their summer esports tournament, what better way to continue that partnership instead of just you know taking the summer programming block and throwing it at video game esports? Why wouldn't they want to kind of also be a sponsor of the Game Awards? And maybe depending on how that tournament goes out, they could kind of copy what the World Series of Poker does, where you play down to that final table in the summer, and then it's not until November where those final combatants take place, and maybe the winner is revealed on the Game Awards. So far, you've said a lot of positive things about the Game Awards show. What were some of the things that you took away that may need to be fixed in future years down the line? Uh, you know, like a lot of awards, like my pet peeve with the Oscars is 
<clears throat> and so and so in in ceremonies that weren't televised won this award or in a in a in a ceremony last month these awards were given out it it kind of feels like you're discounting those awards when you just kind of throw them under the carpet as you're rolling out something else so i would really maybe take a look at what awards are presented first and foremost and why those ones have to be presented i don't know that i would focus on having an esports team award on stage when you aren't going to put the best family-friendly game on stage, which Mario Maker won. You know, Mario Maker only won that one award. I think it's a landmark game. Of course, maybe I'm a little biased as a Nintendo guy, but that seems to be like a pretty big category, or at least bigger in my opinion, than trending gamer or esports team. You know, if this is about the games, then let it be about the games and not the people that are playing the games. I thought the show was better served being cut down to two hours. I thought it made it very neat, very tidy, and very uh, watchable for a larger audience. Uh, do you agree with that, or do you want to keep it as a larger three-hour extravaganza? Uh, again, and this is where I don't mind a, a three-hour show if it's online. You know, just keep it online. Take it off broadcast. As long as the, the content fits and the format is good, then that's all that matters. You know, um, the other thing is I don't mind if it's, you know, tape delayed and cut down or something like that. Sure, a lot of the, the results would be out later. I just I think there's a little bit more room to, to explore a little bit more than they're doing. As far as uh, The Witcher 3, well, like most award shows, it's a big marketing push for that which is nominated and that which wins. So it's a game now that I'm turning my attention to. I know you gave it a really high score. I haven't played it yet. It, it it seems like a really long game, which is my only deterrent because once I get into games, I want to kind of finish them or at least, you know, take them to their max. But it's I probably would rather play that than Fallout 4 only because of the praise that it's getting and because I'm trying to hold off on Fallout 4. So now here's another excellent game that I can get probably at a reduced rate from the initial retail despite DLC that's out there and, and really enjoy it and see what all the hype's about. So that's great. I do wonder if there is much of a difference between Developer of the Year and Game of the Year. Because this, of course, went to both CD Projekt Red, Witcher 3, but they only released one game. Whereas Nintendo at least released two. They released Splatoon and Mario Maker, both of which won awards. So how can you say that Nintendo wasn't the Developer of the Year for creating two award-winning games compared to those, this other studio that only released one game? Is that one game that much better than those two? I don't know. So it's really hard to to discern. It, and there used to be a little bit of discrepancy like this, again, with the Academy Awards in terms of best picture versus like best director and best screenwriting and best cinematography and, and how those added up. Was it more than the sum of its parts? So I think, again, worth exploring. And maybe when you take it away from the fans and the install base per console and put it in industry hands, you get a different kind of result. So what you're Again, trying to uh, elaborate here on is the the winners uh, were chosen by the fans, and you want to see it more into the hands of actually industry experts or um, the industry individuals themselves, and developers, publishers, what have you, or the people within uh, and or that cover um, the video game industry, such as us here at Game Source. Uh, to actually go ahead and be the ones who decide to, you know, give those awards and vote on those awards and make sure that they're given to, let's say, maybe uh, not always the most popular choice, 
but always what we feel as an industry may be the best choice overall. Is that not correct? I know you cited the Academy Awards. Uh, were there any other type of examples you might want to elaborate on in order to, to have our audience understand that maybe why an industry-related award uh, might be better served than just all these publications uh, for us anyways that seem to prioritize our own awards over the Game Awards might make that uh, a little bit better and more understanding as far as what game is truly the best overall for 2015? Well, I mean, you have the Golden Globes, which is voted by the Hollywood Associated Press, you know, Hollywood International Press. So that it, the Golden Globes are all press nominated, for example. I'm not saying we need three award shows, one for the fans, one for the press, and one for the industry. But there's got to be some sort of consideration for all that. So maybe there are, maybe there's a game of the year, you know, as voted by the press. Maybe there's, you know, one as voted by the fans, or it's a weighted algorithm that takes into account all of these different votes. Uh, I, I just think it needs to be a little bit broader than a popularity contest amongst a console that can spend more money than other ones. We appreciate your thoughts, Rob, on the Game Awards 2015. Uh, if you want to check out a replay, it's available on YouTube and other major outlets. But let's turn to actual the video games themselves. And this week was a major release date. The final major release uh, date of the year, uh, seemingly, for video games in that we had three big uh, console releases uh, let's start off with Xenoblade Chronicles X for the Wii U, uh, Rainbow Six Siege, and Just Cause 3. And while um, it can be said that Xenoblade Chronicles X, uh, whatever they make a, uh, abroad in, in North America and Europe, is just all gravy from what they've already done in Japan. Um, and the, the actual uh, game itself is getting you know very good reviews, uh, very strong reviews. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to to get more in-depth word on it from either Jeremiah or Aaron uh, from us here at GameSource. But uh, my concern is more with uh, Just Cause 3 and actually uh, Rainbow Six Siege as well. Both quality games. Uh, I'll be putting out reviews for them shortly on yourgamesource.com. Um, Rainbow Six Siege uh, did have a, a pretty decent uh, support and advertising scheme. Uh, Just Cause 3... Uh, with Square Enix, uh, not so much. Uh, so I'm kind of con concerned more about that title. But uh, basically the timing coming uh, after Black Friday. Um, December has been a very hit-miss uh, time for releases uh, in the past, uh, with some thriving and some crashing uh, in that period of time. But Rob, your thoughts on these games actually releasing so late in the year and maybe, uh, you know, or could they have been better off being held back uh, for the first part of next year? I think any time that there's a good game that comes out, it should come out as soon as it can when it's ready. And I think that there is no wrong time for a good game to come out. A good game will draw its own audience. Um, it missed the Black Friday sales hype, and I think that's okay because I think people wanted the discounted games. So by moving away from that... It was easier for them to find their own kind of spotlight in the just before Christmas kind of window. Um, I think that in an industry where we're always looking for the next, you know, information tidbit of news and, and we want to cling on to what's new, these games all hit at, at a really good time. There's two or three weeks before Christmas still. They're 
they're great presents that people can nab. And Just Cause Three is getting really good reviews. Uh, Xenoblades is, you know, again that game that people have been waiting for on the Wii U. By the sounds of it, um, it's just a whole different experience for them. And, and Rainbow Six Siege is getting a lot of great like multiplayer acclaims by the which, by the ways in which that you can actually destroy the environments and you pre- basically prevent camping and use drones. So there's there's something great about each of those titles. Whether it hits perfectly or not, it's it's really hard to say. But I think the timing on them is is okay, to be honest. I don't think it's a bad deal. And there are also other games on the docket that recently have been released, which are also trying to fight for gamers' uh, attention and their wallets, of course. Uh, one of those being the uh, game which gets modeled a lot after a certain game that you like called Hard West. Is not correct? You've been uh, trying to delve into that rather deeply? Yeah, very much so. This is a game that I'm trying to make time for. It's uh, If you want to talk about a game that got caught between two, two rocks there, I had just finished Blood Bowl while I was doing a bunch of exporting for my projects that you mentioned at the top of the show. And now that those exports are done, I have to dive back in and hit deadlines before the Christmas rush. But i got to make time for, for Hard West because it's that uh, Wild West, Lovecraftian, Cthulhu-ish kind of you know Wild Western chess match, very akin to XCOM. And I, I'm going to try to do a review that does not mention XCOM because that's all I ever hear, including from their own sponsored Facebook post that says the best thing since or since XCOM 2 or something like that, or, or the best thing that tied you over until XCOM 2. So, I mean, my initial thoughts are, can you imagine if XCOM 2 launched when it was supposed to in uh, late October, early November? There would have been no audience for this game whatsoever. So talk about fortuitous karma coming their way to be that perfect kind of holdover and actually find and develop an audience for this maybe burgeoning franchise. So that's interesting. Well, we definitely look forward to that on yourgamesource.com coming up. But, uh, you know... On top of all the projects you're doing, which includes uh, the He-Man documentary, the box art documentary that you're doing in conjunction with Retro City Games, our good friends in Henderson, Nevada. Uh, also, you're doing the, the biopic of the Canadian heavy metal band Kitty. And then also, of course, you've got a, a one that, that you are, are very familiar with, a documentary called Missing Mom, which really, you know, I, from what I've seen as far as the, the, the short footage that you've shown from the trailers already is going to pull at my heartstrings and it's going to tug at a lot of other uh, viewers' heartstrings as well. But uh, speaking of trailers, uh, I know you've, you and I both have uh, been made aware of the, the trailers that have come out within the past week with uh, Captain America, uh, Civil War, and also as well Batman vs. Superman, Donna Justice, um, I ask you really, really point blank. Uh, I know you've heard a lot about it. I know you've seen it. Uh, or even if you haven't seen it, I know you know uh, what's going on in regards to these films. So at what point is it too much being shown in these trailers? Because not only those two, but maybe even also as well Star Wars The Force Awakens. I know they've had little trailers here, little trailers there, little trailers here, sent all over the place, international, North American, TV trailers, longer trailers, super trailers, all these trailers that show additional footage each and every time. Is there too much being shown? I know a lot of uh, people are criticizing the Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice trailer quite extensively because of maybe showing too much in regards to 
the the characters themselves their interplay interplay within each other the the wonder woman reveal as far as it's concerned and then also the reveal of doomsday as the antagonist to uh what's going on in the movie um well you know it comes down to this is there too much being shown can we just tell these movie companies to just stop 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 show, showing so much is there such a need to be able to go ahead and reveal so much to the audience before it even is close to being coming out? Yeah. <laughs> yes, of course. I, I mean, I know people that are starting to swear off at trailers. And uh, a lot of people, I remember leading up to The Force Awakens, which at the time of this recording is less than two weeks away now. And people were like, where's the new trailer? What's going on? And now it's the complete antithesis of that. It's like, slow down. There's too much crap out there. There's too much hype. I think if you want to look at an example of showing too much or maybe something that's unnecessary, look no further than, you know, the Batman Superman trailer in which Wonder Woman appears seemingly out of nowhere in a, in a plot that's generated in the trailer that's supposed to be Batman versus Superman. So it feels like, wow, we're really trying to get people hyped about this so much that we'll just throw this random idea in there, whether it's, you know, warranted or not just to showcase that you know wonder woman is in here that would have been more of a great thing i think to say for the film have a great talking point have that launch into you know the justice league movie for example uh the only thing they could have done worse is show aquaman so i can tell just by you know your reaction is that you're not a big fan of so many trailers getting out there and actually in a lot of cases removing uh, a lot of that excitement from what you originally had in the first place. It's it's all out there, and I don't think the presentation for Batman Superman was was all that great. I think it's won some people over, some people a little bit more interested because there's some good character stuff. There's actually one or two solid lines of dialogue. Force Awakens for me, I'm really divorced from all the hype. Um, I'm just not that excited about it. So there's been so much that it's kind of started to have the reverse effect, but I'm not seeking it out, and I'm really just tempering my expectations. Um, as I said to Jay on a previous episode of, of GamerCast, I'm like, how do you feel that they're going? you'll never be able to see all the Star Wars films now that Disney is involved because Disney has openly said they're, they're never going to stop making Star Wars films and there's going to be one a year for eternity. And that was really depressing to hear that, you know, you won't ever see the last Star Wars film, you know. Sort of like the Call of Duty of movies. Yeah, essentially, the Assassin's Creed release. Um, so there's that. As far as Civil War, I feel like, where do you go from here after Civil War? That's that's the big problem, right? So you have Civil War, and of course it's going to lead up to the Affinity Wars, or the Affinity Gauntlet, or whatever they're calling it now. And those are like two of the biggest kind of comic book lines in the last, like storylines in the last 40 years. So where do you go from that if your plan is to go to like 2030 or 2027 or whatever their map takes? Like, It's not saying that there isn't interesting stories or other heroes that have cool tales, but those are the biggest stories that have ever been told. Um, and of course, you know, X-Men's already done the Dark Phoenix story, more or less, and they're trotting down the Apocalypse storyline. So I don't know. I think it's maybe a bad move to try to do both of them so close. It would have been nice to see at least a five to ten year gap between them. Um, and superhero fatigue is is at an all-time high. Definitely some fatigue is setting in already amongst fans, but, you know, they're still churning them out, so we'll have to see. Uh, once all three of those films come out, we can take a look back 
uh, add it later in 2016 and see if it was not enough uh, as far as the trailers were being shown or maybe it was perhaps a little too much hype and a little bit too much given out there and put out there for audiences but there's also something else going on this weekend it's called the playstation experience uh something that will actually be all over the internet as well just like the game awards was uh it is playstation's love fest to its fans uh, but the most important thing will be coming up very shortly uh, as of the original recording for this it is going to be the keynote address so Rob uh, share your thoughts uh, my initial thoughts as I spoke to you originally uh, before the uh, twitch feed for my audio went out so that's why I'm re-recording a lot of this and I do appreciate everyone's cooperation in listening to it so I hope it's come out well this time uh, but uh, Rob uh, just wanted you to share your comments regarding the PlayStation experience your thoughts on what might go down uh, and then I will interject later on with my thoughts on what actually happened and whether or not it was good for audiences and the gaming uh, enthusiasts alike but uh, is there too much PlayStation VR that's going to be shown to audiences uh, your thoughts just as the PlayStation experience was about to begin I think that's going to be the biggest thing. You're going to see them really start to push the VR component because it means another hardware and software sales that they can kind of, you know, start throwing to their masses. They've got the install bases. They've sold the Razer, you know, for the console, and they're selling Razer blades like crazy with the games, but now they want to sell another Razer that does another thing. And because it's gaming and it's new and everybody's wanted VR for the last 30 years, is it finally here is it not? Is it necessary? Is it going to be like a glorified version of the Wii? I was watching, you know, the Game Awards, and I kept thinking with everybody that's standing up with all these demos that they're having, even the Rock Band stuff, maybe call me a lazy gamer. I don't want to be the guy that has to stand up in his living room to play games all the time. I, ha I like just being able to sit on a couch, figure out a problem, and just kind of intuitively use the device in my hands without having to think things through. That's not... Nothing to say that you can't innovate in the space, but I wonder if this is going to be like another PlayStation Move or Xbox Connect and how successful it's going to be and, and to what degree. So, um, yeah, I think, I think they're going to push it hard. Uh, and, I, and I think it's interesting the reaction to the PS2 virtual console. And, and make no mistake, that's essentially what PlayStation has done for the PS4. Um, bringing back these classic titles, you know, it's not backwards compatible. You can't use the classic purchases. Um, and I, I think people are more more than anything embracing it, and I think they're going to sell a lot of digital games that way. And something both you and I have talked about on previous podcasts was PlayStation Now, the streaming service that goes uh, onto several devices, including the PlayStation 4, PlayStation Vita, and, and te uh, certain televisions and mobile devices uh, that allows individuals to play PlayStation 3 games. As far as that being able to be added on to the PlayStation Plus service, either just looped in or at a small additional cost would be something of great benefit and uh, would offset the backwards compatibility that Xbox One is getting with a lot of Xbox 360 games. PlayStation 2 added in uh, the, that backwards compatibility aside, uh, we felt PlayStation Now would be a great addition to the PlayStation Plus service. And while there is a discount, uh, like I said, of a yearly plan that's been announced, don't you think something more could have been added as far as it's concerned and should be added as far as PlayStation Now 
in order to get that where it needs to be in the eyes of the gaming world. Yeah. Yeah, we talked about this. How can make it like iTunes where you subscribe to their music service, but you can download to your computer. And as long as you have that subscription, you can access those those files. It is such a no-brainer. Why can't you do it? And the biggest thing with PS Now is that you can't stream those titles while you're streaming the game. So you can't broadcast to Twitch, you know? And PlayStation VR, which I will credit Sony for not forcing down our throats through the entire keynote address. Uh, They chose actually not to do that, and I compliment them for it, but they did set off a certain segment of the keynote address and and emphasize um, that it is something they're going to be uh, focusing on in the next year and the coming years. But they did set, you know, a certain segment of the program for it. And I can see why a lot of consumers, including myself, are a little bit standoffish on it because of the fact, well, the demonstration didn't come off as uh, well as they would have hoped. And seeing that that's the case, uh, you know, your thoughts on, on you know, how this is going to be able to be successfully portrayed to an audience, because we've seen it before with Connect and other uh, peripherals and devices that, that really have not been able to be uh, demonstrated well to a live audience. Yeah, and again, like we talked about during Paris Games, Games Week, where they kept showing footage for it, how do you advertise that knowing that the screen has been modified and the images that you're showing people are not the images that are in the game? It's truly something you have to experience, you know? In order, in order to be sold, you have to experience it, so... Well, the keynote address itself was actually, uh, in a lot of ways, outside of the PlayStation VR stuff, uh, really showed that it still has a lot going for it, including the fact that there was a ton of indie game reveals, uh, which I know did get a little bit of criticism because there was you know, the hope that in its own special PlayStation experience that there would be a lot of AAA announcements um, and they were uh, some, you know, critics that were disappointed with it. Uh, but I feel, from my perspective, they announced a, a ton of games. Um, there's a lot of great games on the way for PlayStation 4 owners. Uh, and if you're interested in, in getting something that, that's going to specialize in just getting a lot of games, uh, PlayStation 4 is definitely a, a console you should consider. Um, they did a great job, uh, in my opinion, of just giving a spotlight to to a lot of developers that would normally not get the spotlight during trade shows like these. And in essence, there's so many trade shows. And I know, uh, you know, the 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 head of Sony uh, uh, Worldwide Entertainment, um, as far as is concerned, you know, he actually just suggested himself that there's just so many trade shows that you have to be a part of and so many uh, announcements uh, that you have to make as far as games are concerned that that you just cannot have enough AAA games over the course of a year to, to sprinkle out uh, for fans' taste. So that's why a lot of these, these great smaller development studios and great smaller games um, definitely uh, uh, you know need to have that, that spotlight shine on them. And uh, just was nice to see. And, you know, the industry for a long time, um, indie games was a dirty word. And I'm just it's just great to see them get their their time in the sun and with PlayStation 4 and also Xbox One. uh, That's also uh, 
uh, trying to put a better focus on them as well. It's just great to see, see so many of these games get a chance and get a bigger platform to succeed. Um, well, uh, you know, that wraps it up pretty much for this episode, Game Source episode uh, 136. Uh, but I want to talk about a couple things that, that you know, before we go, that, that Rob is a part of, and also uh, his cohort in crime, Jay and, and Glenn are part of, is the great GamerCast. Uh, and also, uh, if you get a chance, it's a weekly show, you check it out, GamerCast. For more information, you can just go to their Facebook page. Uh, or check out Game Source because we always have their latest episodes on our feed uh, on Podomatic. Um, I know if you're a Patreon customer, you get added uh, incentives on that. Um, could you uh, talk more about that? And also maybe if you get a chance, talk more about uh, uh, Jay's special podcast uh, uh, as far as his concern you know, with the uh, Star Wars and uh, his Star Wars related podcast called A Galaxy Far, Far Away. But for first, just tell us a little bit more about your, you know, the things that you offer for your Patreon customers for your successful show, GamerCast. Uh, it's pretty simple. Just go to patreon.com slash GamerCast and a dollar is the price of admission per month. So 12 bucks a year. This last week's episode got an entire hour long section that was only available to to patreon so it was essentially like a two-hour show but everybody else in the public got like a 50-minute version so for a dollar not only for last week's episode are you getting an extra hour plus all the archive stuff you're getting at least 20 minutes on average per episode plus a bunch of perks when we do live events and hangouts and stuff like that it's really a no-brainer for 12 bucks for a year a dollar a month it's the price of admission is easy, and then there are other options as well. Like if you want us to plug your web show, your your Kickstarter project, or, or whatever you're doing out there, we'll do that at, at various tiers. So that's pretty exciting stuff. And once again, how can they find out information on the best documentary of this year, Nintendo Quest? And it's funny that you're saying this year because we're going to have to say last year soon, which is really strange to me. Uh, just go to NintendoQuest.com. There's a big Watch Now button. There's other links to the DVDs, to the DVD right on the main page. Uh, you, you can't miss it. And worst case scenario, if you have a question, reach out to us on Facebook or Twitter. Uh, we're around. It's pretty easy to find us, NintendoQuest.com. And I know as of late, you have gotten into the streaming craze just a little bit, perhaps. And, well, like our channel on Twitch, Game Underscore Source, provides a lot of great gaming information, our podcasts on occasion, and also as well some great streams. How can people watch what you're doing as far as game streaming is concerned? Oh, I don't know. I think it's twitch.tv slash NintendoQuest underscore Rob. I'm so new to the streaming thing. I got to get a game plan to see if it's actually something that fits in. You'll see me pop up here and there. That's that's all I can tell you. So I'm the diamond in the rough. If you happen to stumble upon my Twitch channel and you see me stream, then then you're one of the lucky ones. Well, Rob, we definitely want to thank you for joining the podcast today. This is Game Source Podcast 136. I'll give some shout outs for as far as uh, us is concerned to close this on out. YourGameSource.com, our home site. Uh, Game Source on Facebook, which provides along with at Game Source on Twitter. Uh, we provide uh, literally uh, hundreds of news stories on the video game industry each and every week, uh, along with our own pointed thoughts and reviews on a regular basis. Uh, so check it out. Follow us, like us, subscribe to us. Game Source on YouTube, at Game Source on Twitter, Game Source on Facebook, and obviously check out our home site. 
yourgamesource.com. So for Rob McCallum, director of the world's best documentary this year, Nintendo Quest, uh, this has been Gerald, better known as Yes, Elvis Lives. We want to thank you for watching. want to thank you for listening. It's another beautiful day in paradise, and we hope you have yourselves a great day. Do you love games, breed games, and bleed games? Then this is the crew for you. If you are interested in editorial, podcasting, live events, and exclusive content, make sure to hit us up at info at yourgamesource.com and become part of a team that is dedicated to delivering all the greatest delays in gaming news and content, all here at yourgamesource.com.